Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. In this series, host Daniel J. Marino, managing partner of Lumina, talks to top experts and thought leaders in healthcare to help you navigate on the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of the industry. The goal of this series is to bring you disruptive success strategies by leveraging Lumina's experiences, stories, and insights from working with health professionals and organizations across the country. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and any questions that are top of mind. Now let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. I'm excited about today's discussion. In our episode today, we're going to discuss the truths, the myths, and implications of the No Surprise Act. The No Surprise Act, as well as price transparency, has created some challenges for providers, as we all know, but it's also been some really nice advocacy, if you will, for patients. Along with that, though, providers are challenged with what information they need to give to patients, how they get the information, particularly if a set of providers are not within network and we need to identify what the true cost of a service is. And that could really vary as we all know, right? Charge masters are very different and what we get reimbursed from payers are very different. What the patients can pay, of course, is also included in the equation. So the No Surprise Act was really geared towards engaging patients in the discussion of what they should be paying, what's reasonable to pay, so they're not hit with these large surprise bills, if you will, after a particular service had occurred. Joining me today in our discussion is Sean Stack. Sean is Healthcare Policy Director at HFMA. Specifically, he's the Association's Director of Perspective and Analysis and is responsible for developing policy and positions on this topic and many others for HFMA. Very excited to have Sean here with us. Sean, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dan. It's nice to be here. As I work with healthcare organizations around the country, specifically those that are providing some type of financial counseling to patients, or even as simple as patients who are checking in for particular services, healthcare providers, physician offices, hospitals are really struggling with What's the right level of information to give to patients? What they can give to patients that would really allow them to comply under the No Surprise Act. And I think as well as that, there's also confusion on how price transparency comes into play. So maybe we can start there. Can you shed a little bit of light on maybe the the differences or the commonalities between the No Surprise Act and price transparency? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. And both kind of go hand in hand, but don't really address really the the same thing. So in my opinion, price transparency initiatives, as they originally rolled out, we saw those rolled out from a perspective of providers being transparent on their actual charges and how much healthcare costs in relationship to health plan and payer negotiated reimbursement. Or as you just said, their charge master, the actual list I call it the price tag of each procedure or item that a hospital or provider charges. But let's face it, when consumers negotiate compensation packages with their employers, 
almost all employers are negotiating based on healthcare costs being wrapped into that, you know, package or reimbursement to that employee. So saying that healthcare cost and health plan and what a health plan reimburses for Two employers, things, right? yeah, they, they do go hand in hand and the, and the end consumer and the inpatient is actually paying for those, the, you know, those costs, that price tag that the provider or the hospital charges is just a negotiated rate. But it, it, you're right. It is very confusing for a user or a patient to look at a, at a charge master and say, you know, how much am I going to be charged for my service? Because there's just so many charges and intricacies of that, right? Well, and, and what a hospital or a physician group list as their charges is it normally what they get paid, right? I mean, Absolutely. There's, there's a negotiated allowable amount that comes back between the, the carrier and the provider. And nobody really knows what that is. The goal of the Transparency Act was to at least be able to allow patients an ability to kind of have a good idea of what that reimbursable charge is. So frankly, they could shop around, right? I think the big challenge is what actually goes into that, because I think there's there's different negotiated rates based on different arrangements between the hospitals and the providers, and also the benefit plans come into play as well. And Medicare comes into play as well. I mean, one of the oh, biggest sure. one of the biggest drivers of higher costs are the way the Medicare fee schedule and the Medicare reimbursement is structured. If you don't have higher costs on items or higher price tags, I would call it on items hospitals take a bath or lose a lot of money on patients who hit outlier payments, meaning patients who stay three months in the hospital, a Medicare patient, they have to bill those higher price tags to just recoup their losses. So the whole system is structured for higher price tags is what I'm saying. So it's not just, it's just not the providers being greedy or the hospitals being greedy. It's just the way the system has been structured for years. That makes sense. Absolutely. So then when you you think about the No Surprise Act, the goal of it was really to establish some type of patient protections that really allows increased transparency for patients to have a pretty good idea of what their costs are going to be. So they're not hit with any of these large, large bills. But I think it also, just given the structure and, and how you described the financial arrangements between the hospitals and, and the payers, it's a real challenge for hospitals to really identify, accurately identify what a financial responsibility would be. Yeah, Dan, this is a great area to talk about, I think, because what folks hear about a lot, you know, and I think it's sensationalism, but you know, legislators saying, well, I can take my car in and I can get my car fixed and I know what I'm going to pay. Well, the human body is not like a car. Your body is not like mine. We, we, we both have comorbidities. We both have maybe high blood pressure or some other underlying factors. So once you open a patient up or do a procedure on a patient, sometimes you don't know exactly where that's going to go and what type of additional costs are going to be, you know, calculated during that surgery or that procedure. So I think that has been the angst of providers not not wanting or not being able to provide a good faith estimate, quote unquote, up front, because you never know what's going to happen on that operating table or during that procedure or during that clinic evaluation. Oh, um, you are absolutely right. And I think that's one of the biggest 
challenges and probably the biggest complaints from providers, particularly physicians, is you really don't know until you know when you're taking care of the patient. And then, you know, coupled on top of that, patients or the employees and the employers structure around their plans, frankly, what the employees can afford, whether they have a high deductible health plan or they have a coinsurance or, or copay, also figures into that equation as well. So when you think about all of this, you know, uh, on the surface, it sounds like the No Surprise Act is pretty easy, but when you really dive into it, it's difficult to come up with what that right amount is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I agree, Dan. It's not easy, but I think I think it's a good step to take. I mean, I'm definitely from the provider side. I mean, I've worked at a hospital for several years, but this is where we need to go. And this is where the legacy hospitals need to go to stay competitive in the market and to really continue to offer the excellent services that we offer in the U.S. under healthcare. So I know that I agree that a lot of folks are, are complaining about a lot of providers and a lot of hospitals are complaining about how the No Surprise Act has been written. But I think this is a starting point. I think we're going to see clarifications come out over the next two years. I think this act is going to expand. So essentially, the No Surprises Act really has outlined provisions to actually help patients understand the cost of healthcare in more complex areas where you know the patient comes in for ED services and they're out of network. Well, now CMS is saying, if you're a Medicare provider at your hospital, you can't charge any patient, regardless of their payer, pretty much, um, out of network cost in a situation where they can't control where they're being taken because it's an emergency. And then at that point of where they're going to be stable, the hospital needs to, or the convening partner, the provider or or the facility that is responsible for delivering those services, needs to let that patient know at this point, you're no longer receiving emergency care. This is what you're going to be responsible for because the clinician taking care of you at that hospital is out of network with your, with your insurance. So while it's still very difficult to navigate, and I think providers and CMS and the payers are having a hard time setting up these initial workflows to get this information out to the patient, um, I think it's needed. I think that transparency is is really needed, so patients understand what they're on the hook for. Yeah, I I agree. I think the more that providers can have these conversations, uh, relevant conversations with patients, provide a level of transparency. One, it builds trust. Two, you have a better opportunity to work through some of the financial challenges that would occur. And, and let's face it, you know, there's many healthcare procedures that are quite expensive. So I think by sharing this information, by being transparent in the information, certainly is going to help the collectability um, and frankly, just help the relationship between the patient and the provider. So when we think about where providers should go with this, it's really re-engineering the whole financial counseling process, right? And the communication with patients. When you've worked with hospitals or clinics or physician practices, are there a couple of key things that come to mind as sort of a starting point as to where these providers can can begin to either get the information or have conversations with patients? 
Yeah, I think I think what we've seen in healthcare, either good or bad, good and bad, depending on how you look at it, is the financial conversations and the clinical conversations between the actual caretakers have always been historically pretty separate, especially when you're in a hospital setting. The doctor's there to take care of you and not worry about the cost of care because their main goal is to solve the problem that you're having medically. And then we always kind of cleaned up the finances on the back end, you know, build the insurance, got the denials from the insurance if they got denied, appealed those, got the patient involved, build the patient for anything the employer's insurance wouldn't cover or their insurance wouldn't cover. And now I think this act is kind of bringing those worlds more together. So it's kind of like a more holistic approach to care. One of the things I always said when I, when I worked for an academic medical center for years and I was in finance or over patient accounting was I never wanted anyone who went to our heart center to get a $200,000 bill because their insurance denied it. Can you imagine sending someone with heart issues? A, right, and it happens a, a lot. Million, you're right. They're just going <laughs> to come back when they get a half a million dollar bill. So I think talking to a patient, explaining you know, those dynamics between a payer, between medical necessity, how things can get just misconstrued at times, between clinical care and finance. I think bringing that patient into that conversation and letting them know what's going on up front. without the challenge here with, with a lot of providers right now with this rolling out is not interrupting that healthcare flow. Right. To talk about finances. And I think finding that sweet spot of balance, being respectful to the patient and talking to them when they're in pain, maybe, you know, from, from an illness, finding that sweet spot to let them know and to reach out and engage with them and show them that you care about their finances as well. You know, why they're sitting there in a hospital gown, vulnerable from pain, talking about finances is another is another very painful thing for most people to talk right. about. So, you know, well, it, and in, in revenue cycle, we used to talk, we, we often talk about um, the two parts of the revenue cycle. There's, there's the patient experience. Whereas if you have a healthcare issue, at that point in time, the most important thing for you is resolving that issue. The bill, the responsibility becomes secondary. But then when your healthcare issue is resolved, um, hopefully, you know, you move into what we call the consumer experience, where your healthcare issue that you had sort of takes a back seat. And the most important thing is that bill. To your point, the more you can bring those two worlds together into a single conversation. I think is really the goal of the, of the new Surprise Act to yeah. allow patients and providers to work through that. So not only are we taking care of the patient's clinical needs, but we're also addressing the financial needs as we're thinking about how to create that optimal experience for the patient. Yeah, you are. You hit the nail on the head there, Dan. Uh, HFMA does a, a class at one of the academic um, centers around the country with chief, new chief medical officers. And one of the things I always say to them, because, you know, they don't know, they don't usually typically know how a revenue cycle works at a hospital, and they at least need to have a high level view of how it works. I always kind of tell them revenue cycle scheduling or registration are the first people your patient talks to when they come into the hospital. So having a good relationship and a conversation with those folks as a clinician is very important. And guess what? They're the last person the patient (laughs) talks to. Yes. And I often say, building on that, they make or break the relationship, right? 
You know what? And the scary thing about this, Dan, is a lot of folks don't realize for a patient who needs, and this is most patients who need follow-up care or a continuum of care, that last flavor or that last impression sets the tone of whether they're going to come out and seek follow-up care from that facility. And that's scary. I it mean, really is. Yeah, really is. Or even referring some of their, you know, their, their own family members to right. that provider. So yeah, you're absolutely right. So I think this holistic approach, although sometimes hard to swallow, um, the No Surprises Act, I don't think many providers or many hospitals would tell you, you know, this is just the wrong way to go. I don't think that's what they're saying. I think they're no. just trying to wrap their heads around how do we balance, how do we continue to balance this, you know, the healthcare right. piece with the finance piece and make it holistic? You know, at the, at, and you're absolutely right. On the surface, all healthcare providers feel like this is a good thing. That's good for the patient. Having transparency and communication certainly is a, is a good thing for the healthcare community. Like with anything else, every time you have to change process or put put new activities or initiatives in place to comply with some regulations, there's some challenges around it. The No Surprise Act obviously really went into place January 1st of, of this year, 2022. Do you see some additional changes coming from the government later in 2022 or maybe even forthcoming in 2023? I certainly hope so. <laughs> um, one of the big pieces so far, and I don't want to say they've been left out of this piece, and they are just as responsible as providers for surprise billing or out-of-network billing, if you whatever you want to call it, or, or any type of denial or rejection, are the payers. And they are not even close to being as being held accountable so far in this process. And there's reasons for that. There's um, extensive um, electronic and communication bills that need to be done for the providers to get the information to the payers and the payers to move that information on upfront to the patient themselves. So there are some build there going on, but I definitely want to see more direction and more provisions come out and clarifications come out for payers in maintaining their websites accurately for who's in network, who's out of network, things like that, communication that they need to provide to the hospitals um, so they know in enough time to inform the patients. So that piece will be coming out hopefully late 2022 or early 2023. Boy, um, I think that would be great. I, I think if the payers can start to share some of that level of information, I think it would really help consumers to understand, like you said, who's in network, who's out of network, and that level of transparency to sort of in, inform the financial responsibilities of the patient is a necessary ingredient. Yeah. And, you know, and that communication back to the employer who's actually paying for a lot of this. I mean, they're, yeah. they're paying for the, the payers to manage their patients or their, manage their employees. So I think we're going to see the employer get a lot more involved in healthcare in the next five years as well. Um, one of the one of the things that the No Surprises Act already has done that has been, you know, has made providers and especially ED physicians do cartwheels across the room is they have came out and said, no longer can a payer deny an ED visit for medical necessity because the yeah. patient came in with severe chest pains and then found out that it wasn't a heart attack. You know, that was right. the right patient. That was the right place for that patient to go. And you don't know that they weren't actually having a heart attack until you've done the diagnostic services to figure that out. And no oh yeah, you're absolutely right. And I agree with you. I think that was, that was a big change. Um, it was a big and change. And I think, 
extremely beneficial for patients because it did create a lot of, you know, anxiety from that. I had a good friend of mine who didn't have very good coverage from his insurance. And uh, this was probably three or four years ago, ended up going to the emergency department. And the, I think it was one of either the ER physician or a specialist wasn't in network and ended up getting three or four different bills. And it, it just kept on going and going and going. And the, frankly, the, the plans denied it and he was on, he, he was really responsible for it. So I agree with you. I think having that level of transparency and making sure that everything is included in that, in that service bill is really important. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think we'll, we'll also see more transparency, not just on out of network services, but on in network services too, coming from CMS on no surprises in the future, you know, maybe a year or two years from now. Folks will be on the hook for good faith estimates for all scheduled services, which will be nice. That'll be nice. Yeah, I agree with that. So, Sean, this is great. Great conversation. I think really good insights. Clearly, there's, I think, a lot of opportunities for hospitals and providers, but there's also quite a few challenges. If you were to provide any you know, final advice for our listeners, a couple of key things that you might want to share? For providers, I say... Embrace the changes, try to work through them. They're not perfect, but we'll get there. I think giving feedback to your legislators and giving feedback to CMS on policies is very important because they are willing to listen. And then for patients, I mean, I think that they, you know, you know your your community providers, whether it's an academic medical center or a critical access hospital or a rural hospital, have conversations with them, ask for these things. Uh, try to understand and have honest conversations about your healthcare as holistic. No one wants you, a hospital or a, definitely your provider does not want you walking away with a bill that you can't afford and that you're, you know, financially challenged for the next 10 years right. to pay off. That's, that's not what hospitals and community providers want. Right. Absolutely. So one of the goals of our podcast here is always to be to share information and obviously sharing of this information is great. Is there somewhere that providers have additional information that they may need or they want, or maybe some suggestions in terms of how they can begin to implement some of these processes? Are there any reference sites, anything through HFMA that you might be able to recommend? Yes, um, I have a, a lot of resources out on hfma.org that members can access. We have a forum that is out there, a community forum where providers throw back and forth ideas that they have on how to operationalize these, these new regulations and these new provisions and, and how they're handling these and talking with their, you know, their, their providers at their hospitals. And then honestly, CMS has a great website that stood up. If you just Google CMS, no surprise act, there's a lot of provider resources out there under the CMS website that you can, that providers can also access. I'll be doing a premium facilitated learning for our, for our members um, later this spring. It's like basically like an online college class for folks to really explore, no surprises, how to adopt these into your workflows for your patients and your providers at your facility. So those are filling up fairly quickly, but we'll probably re be repeating those as new regulations and new provisions come out throughout the year. So folks can tap into those as well. And then of course, AHA as well has a lot of resources out there on their website. Wow, your program sounds great. And, uh, you know, if, if you can't, why don't you share some of that information with me? I'll pass it on to some of our listeners. And sure. I have a lot of respect and admiration for HFMA. You all have done a great job of 
creating wonderful information for providers and really helping our providers along with with many of these initiatives similar to, to the No Surprise Act. Well, Sean, thanks for your time today. This was wonderful. I really appreciate it and love to have you back sometime down the road, especially if we see some additional changes that are are coming down the pike, or even if you've identified some opportunities that you know maybe providers have figured out how to implement some of these things and some success stories, we always love to share these with our audience. Great. Thank you, Dan. And we're a big fan of yours here at HFMA too. So nice talking with you. Great. Appreciate it, Sean. Thank you. So as, as we wrap up today, Sean did a nice job of talking about the differences between the No Surprise Act, price transparency, And at the end of the day, this is a good thing for providers. I think the challenge continues to be like with anything else, how do you change the process to meet not only the requirements of the regulation, but making sure that we're really creating the value for our patients? I think if we do this the right way and we really re-engineer the whole financial counseling process, the opportunities to share transparent information with patients will increase dramatically, not to mention our our collection opportunities as well. And as Sean said, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of great information that is out there. Certainly use HFMA as a resource. It's hfma.org. And even Lumina Health Partners at luminahp.com is another great resource as well. Until next time, I want to thank everyone for listening. I'm Daniel Marino. Have a great day. We want to thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights Podcast by Lumina Health Partners. Lumina is your partner on a journey to value-based care and all the pivots and challenges our industry faces daily. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. If you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Be sure to check out our show notes at LuminaHP.com insights. Join us again where we continue to take a deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with some of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and how we continue to navigate and thrive. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.